Hi, I'm Adrian Potter. Welcome to the Designer Maker Revolution. For most of my life, I've been curious about why people do the things they do, especially people that create for a living. In these episodes, I'm going to talk to people that design and make the most amazing things. I'm going to ask them how and why they do the things they do. Please join me on this adventure into a creative life. Thanks for joining me on this episode of the Designer Maker Revolution podcast. Really appreciate your company for this journey into a creative life. Today's episode, Daniel Kavicki, author, thinker, fan, historian, amazing intellect. He's the, also the vice provost of the Rhode Island School of Design in the United States. Got a big shout out to Neil Thomason once again for his help with the audio quality. Really appreciate your, your help, Neil. Bloody awesome. Facebook page has been started. You can also find The Revolution on Instagram, Design and Make a Revolution. That's the handle there. You can find me at adrianpotter.net.au. And don't forget to get in touch, make at designermakerrevolution.com or send me a direct message on Instagram or Facebook. All of that is great. Love hearing from you all. Really, really makes my day. Please keep that feedback coming in. Pretty soon, going to have a Patreon site too, and I hope to have some T-shirts for sale as well. Take it away, Daniel Kavicki. Here we go. It is about stories. The whole thing's about, well, everything Pretty much everything is. Pretty yeah. much everything is. Pretty much everything I'm is. I'm reading a book, right, yeah. called Sapiens by, yeah. um, you know it? No, I don't, but it sounds great. <laughs> History yeah. of our yeah, yeah, species. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. And core idea is that everything is mm-hmm. a story. Mm-hmm. Everything. Yeah, yeah, every single thing. Right? Every yes. single thing. Yes. And in fact, yes, yes, yes. he doesn't even call them stories. He calls yeah. them myths. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. sure, sure. Mm-hmm. I was blown away. Like, wow. And basically the myths allow humans yeah. to organize much more successfully uh-huh. than a group of apes, which would be, you know, you'd max out 120, uh-huh. might yeah. be a little bit more, right. less, but you can't do any more because that's the limit of, uh, of coordination, non-verbal that... coordination. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 Whereas yeah. when you've got a myth that yeah. drives everybody, if everyone's on board with that myth, you can get thousands of people to do stuff. Yeah, yeah. No, that's great. No, I mean, I, I can go on. I mean, even in, like, you know what's fascinating is nation building, like, you know, <laughs> late, late 1700s, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Amazing. You know, just even the notion of a map, the visual of a map, we all, at least in industrialized society, although I think beyond that, have a notion of where we are in terms of place. We have borders. And it, if you're in the U.S., everybody knows the outline of the U.S. and you place yourself in it. In Australia, I'm pretty sure everybody knows the outline of the continent or Tasmania and you, you place yourself in it. And so just even that basic concept, the story of who you are, can be visually represented. Holidays are the same thing. Holidays are all about 
the story mm. of your identity and how you fit into it, you know, how you fit into the society, you know. Uh, that's why some of the holidays are a little controversial because they go right, like Proclamation Day is oh, okay. controversial because, you know, is it Survivor Day? Is it Proclamation Day? But totally. but it's about identity and, and it's just competing stories. So, no, but this this stuff is fascinating. I mean, it's just... just oh, yeah, 100% agree. It's yeah. fascinating and... Daniel Pabiki, welcome to the Designer Maker Revolution podcast. <laughs> We've just been talking. And so we're kind of, this introduction's a bit late. Yeah. If you're at a party, someone asks you what you do for a living, how do you answer them? I stammer because I do a lot of different things and have done a lot of different things. I could use my official title as Vice Provost of Rhode Island School of Design. Sounds pretty amazing. Yeah. Well, what does it mean? What's a provost? That's a very complicated question. Actually, my faculty ask me that a lot. Uh, the, the provost is the chief academic officer of the oh institution. God. Second to the president, who is in charge of the entire institution. So the provost is in charge of all of the academic programs, uh, mm. faculty, students. That um, sounds like you're a busy man. I am a busy man. I work a lot. I have a lot of different interests. Mm. But it's not captured by vice provost entirely. Vice provost is my position, mm. but I'm an author, yep. and I've, you know, I'm heavily invested in that. And and thinking through writing is very important to me. What are you um, writing at the moment? What am I writing at the moment? Uh, I am writing uh, an essay on representations of audiences over time. The digital age has yielded a treasure trove of images from ephemera, you know, magazines, newspapers, but also art, paintings, lithographs, and so on, that depict audiences. And for someone who's thinking about uh, the history of audiencing, this is very exciting. And, and so that's, that's your gig, the history of fandom and Yeah, I study, I study this almost, you know, I think for some people it would be a, an absurd subject, but I study uh, the ways in which people understand and receive art and culture, uh, film, literature, music, visual art. Mm. And I'm, I'm actually not all that interested in the culture itself. I'm not all that interested in, you know, what people are uh, listening to or, or watching, but I'm really interested in, in, the, in the people's behavior uh, in response to that. And in my more radical moments, I don't believe that, you know, art actually exists. I think it only exists to the extent that people constitute it through their reception of it. But that's way too Weird. theoretical for no, this. No, 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 let's go there. I reckon <laughs> that, that's, that's a pretty interesting concept because before, just before we were talking about a notion that all ideas are myths and our whole culture is based on myths what you're talking about. Yeah, I mean, this goes back to an old philosophical debate between ontology and phenomenology. So do things exist beyond our perception of them? Mm. You know, if a tree falls in the forest and no one hears it, mm. does it make a sound? And there are some that believe... Does it? Absolutely, yes. Well, I, I don't believe that. I, I think that... Uh, it needs to be heard. It needs to be heard. That's when it comes to life. That's when it has meaning. That's, that's when it exists. Um, otherwise, you know... Who cares? So the birds might, you know, yeah, but the birds are perceiving it, and therefore it exists. So, I mean, you know, we can we can uh, get quite quite philosophical about this, but I I just in my work I try to emphasize the importance 
of audiences' contributions to culture. So we tend to think of uh, of art uh, generally defined as something that is um, you know created and and put into the world. We don't talk a whole lot about what happens after it's been put in in, in into the world. And so I'm I'm really interested in that, and and I've been investigating it my entire career. So I started out uh, looking at the culture of Bruce Springsteen fans. Mm. You're clearly a fan. (laughs) Tell us about your experience with Bruce. Well, I I actually, I didn't uh, get into Bruce until college. I was a late comer, so to speak. I listened to primarily classical and jazz up yeah, until okay. then and wasn't really into, into rock and roll. But I started listening to his music, particularly the early stuff, which has a lot of horns and looks sort of an entry point for me, you know, having some brass is always good. And uh, I really started to love the music. And with friends, I started to go to concerts. And I just became more you know, deeply immersed in the, in the world of, of Bruce. But it, it wasn't just the music, it was also the community of people, the, the friendships and the bonds that are formed around you know, the, the, the love of something. And so my study of Bruce Springsteen fans was actually not about Bruce Springsteen. I've never met Bruce. No, I was going to uh, ask. No, no, no never. So we haven't got any Bruce stories from you. I'm sorry to say no. Uh, You're going to have to. <laughs> Some, someday, perhaps. No, someday. yeah, yeah. I'll try and hook you guys. Thanks. Bruce is a good mate. Okay, yeah, good. Okay. No, he's not. <laughs> no, he's not. I touched him. <laughs> Did you? I have. I've touched him twice. <laughs> Were you at a concert, or was this just in the street? (laughs) I wished. I wished it was in the street. I was at a concert. It's got to be one of the most amazing concerts I've ever seen. Mm. It was quite recently here in Adelaide. There was non-stop music for three hours. Mm. He wasn't on the stage for that whole three hours, but Mm -hmm. there was music for the entire time, and it ranged from full-on rock and roll to ballads to folk music to him uh, crowd surfing and walking into the audience and sitting on a lady's lap and singing a song to her. And I really just think it was the most amazing performance I've ever seen. I mean, one of the things I love about Bruce is that he is an incredibly gifted musical craftsman and has explored such a variety of genres that all uh, pertain in some way to a very generous narrative of America mm. and its people and its history. Uh, and it's and, people, you know, he talks about people that are like you and me, you know, yeah. he's not talking about some, yeah. I mean, they're fantasies, okay, but it, they are people that you can you can meet, you've known. Yeah, but, you know, he, he, he's not writing about... Um, you know the, the the lives of multinational corporate CEOs. No. Uh, you know he's he's writing about uh, ordinary ordinary people, their their struggles, uh, people who don't often have a voice, mm. or people who aren't sort of you know, given a spotlight in our histories and um, you know just in our in our cultural work. And you know I mean I think Bruce goes back to you know the the, the tradition of folk singers like uh, Woody Guthrie and and Pete Seeger, yeah. but he's also deeply invested in R&B and, and rock and roll, which really? itself is, is started anyway as a, 
uh, of, of people's music, mm. um, particularly across a deep racial divide in, in mm. the U.S. And, mm. and I think what's really interesting about Bruce is, is his, his inclusivity. Uh, he has fans across the political spectrum, for instance. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. You know, conservatives, liberals, left mm. and right. And they all see something mm. that uh, they find appealing in, in his music. So mm. Bruce has a big tent. I think he's probably most similar to Walt Whitman, a, a poet from the 19th century who was also really interested in America as a place of, of incredibly diverse people and, and a rich set of, of stories that needed to be told. And Do I you know if Bruce is enough. inspired by Walt? You know, I don't know for a fact that he's read Walt. Hmm. Um, I wouldn't be surprised yeah. if, if he had. It's not really a big deal. I'm just curious. Yeah. What about this community of fans? You're obviously part of that community. Like, mm. What is it about you and your relationship to those people? Well, I mean, I, I spent a, um, a long time, uh, five, six years, uh, going to concerts and talking to people. Uh, I would often, you know, talk a little bit at the concert and then set up, a, you know, an interview later. And, and I just, I got to know uh, a, a wide variety of people, lots of different ages, lots of different backgrounds. And uh, I, I, I really just asked them a simple question, what is Bruce about for you? And just listened. Uh, and they had all kinds of wonderful, interesting, and, and uh, moving uh, stories uh, about how Bruce sort of operated in, in their lives. And in doing that work, I realized that Bruce was also starting to shape my own perceptions uh, and, and identity. You, know, you start to think in Bruce after a while, the, the more immersed you become in the music, the lyric kind of influence you, or the stories and characters that he presents kind of pop into mind, you know, in different different uh, situations. So I collected all of these stories and uh, thought about my own involvement in, in the fan community and then tried to, to put it all together and make sense of it. And in my writing, I was thinking of myself as a kind of ambassador. I was doing it as an academic. But at the same time, I was just trying to allow the stories of these people to get out in into the world and people can find that in your book yeah the book's called tramps like us music and meaning among springsteen fans i love being a tramp yeah there you go love it. yeah but i mean what i what i realized was that fandom you know in popular culture is often depicted as kind of um well two ways it's depicted as just uh, kind of quaint and silly just kind of you can just dismiss it you know like screaming uh, teenage girls at concerts and that kind of thing or fandom is depicted as quite dangerous you know uh, it, it's um, akin to stalking uh, obsession it's kind of it's it's representative of imbalance in in one's life you know you're 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 too into something mm. and I found neither of those to be true actually fandom for a lot of fans uh, seems quite ordinary. It's just a part of one's identity. I see it as so. uh, an appreciation, mm -hmm. and it's it's a more focused appreciation. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and what, what interests me is that appreciation and yeah. what that appreciation can do. Yeah. It certainly helps to shape one's identity. It certainly helps to create new kinds of uh, bonds with other people. So yeah. it, it creates community and shared experience. Yeah. And I basically make the case in the book that th those are good things. Uh, and we need not just think of fandom as, uh, as, as negative and as a problem and as, you know, kind of related uh, to crowd hysteria. It's it's just, it's a form of identity building in our created age. Everybody would be a fan of something. You can call it what you like, but if, it could be sports. It could Absolutely. be music. Yeah. Yeah. It could be film. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It could be an activity. Well, and if you look back in the, into the past, uh, which is what I'm doing right now, it could be firefighting. <laughs> I'm a fan so, of firefighting. Yeah, so in the 19th century, uh, it was part of a kind of male subculture that there would be these firefighting organizations, clubs really, uh, where volunteer firefighters would get together and go to the fire and, and put it up. But, but that practice had followers. So citizens who were not firefighters would go to the fire and try to help and, you know. Not get in the way. And uh, hopefully, hopefully not, but they were actually at the turn of the century, around 1900, there were a lot of laws passed that prevented people from getting involved and helping because they were getting in the way and they yeah, were yeah, causing, yeah. causing problems. Yeah, yeah. Uh, have you heard of the term fire buff? I haven't. So uh, I've heard of the term you know, bug. Fire, fair enough. No, but a fire buff is someone who's, who's you know, if you're a, uh, well, uh, have you heard of the term buff? Like if you're a cinema buff or something yeah, yeah, like that. Yeah, for sure. So that term buff comes from firefighting culture. It refers to the color of the jackets that firefighters wore. They were buff colored jackets, a kind of mm. uh, light tan. So there's this whole history. Anyway, I, I can go on. There, there are people have been fans or have been passionately committed to uh, a wide variety of I can human imagine, activity. Yeah, I can imagine people being fans of battles. Sure. And, you know, not today's, not, yeah. not since World War One, because right. that's when they became super, super Just horrific. horrific. Yeah. yeah, meat grinders. But way before then, you know, you have a battle last for a couple of hours. And yeah. I could imagine people sitting up on the top of the hill there, having yeah. a glass of champagne and yeah. watching the outcome. It's, it's, I, I don't know that that's the case, but it's certainly, I bet you certainly it is. possible. I bet you certainly it is. Possible. Recently, I listened to an awesome podcast, Hardcore History, and it was a history of people watching executions. Mm -hmm. And thousands of people would turn up to an execution. Mm -hmm. Definitely fans of executions. Yeah, fair, fair enough, yes. And and if they'd been to multiple executions, one question would be how are they weaving those experiences into their into their daily lives. Mm. I mean, for music fans, I know that going to concerts uh, is, is akin to, you know, if you're Catholic attending Mass every week. I mean, there's, there's a kind of affirmation that comes from attending a concert. Sometimes the concerts, if you go on the same tour, they're almost exactly the same, but you attend multiple concerts to affirm your commitment. Mm. Mm. Uh, and so it becomes, it becomes a kind of ritual, uh, and it's not, as, it's not like the normal Entertainment, where you pay a ticket and you kind of have fun for a discrete mm. period of time and then, then you go back to your normal life. Fans sustain 
that excitement, that temporary excitement throughout their lives. And they need to kind of reaffirm it on occasion to kind of sustain it and, and so keep is, going. Are you putting it out there that this might be a psychological kind of thing, not a negative psychological kind of yeah. thing? But yeah, I, I, well, I, I certainly think it, it, is a, it can be a deep part of one's identity formation. Certainly, fandom seems to start in one's life course. It seems to start when one is a teenager uh, mm. and thinking about identity and mm. who am I and how am I going to represent myself mm. through my decisions and choices and, and likes and loves. And so music and, and art and film and books are all part of that. They kind of make up the story of who we are. Mm. And then as you go through life, for some people, the intensity of that identity creation drops away, and for others, mm-hmm. it, it keeps going. I have found that, that people do not forget when they became fans of something. Mm. It seems to be a very significant moment, uh, yeah. at least psychologically, in, in people's lives. Now, I'm not a psychologist, so I can't no, speak no, no, to how no, that's you, working. You are, you are looking at the way people experience these things, so yeah. you know, you're not going to analyze it, but you are recording. I'm noting so it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And are these typically events like a concert or is it the first time you heard a song or is it you know the first time you got kissed or is it all, all of that all, all of those things it yeah. really it, it it varies i mean the only thing that i didn't notice in talking to springsteen fans was that there's a a correlation or, or an association between conversion narratives <laughs> In religion, you become inoculated into Bruce. Yeah, conversion narratives. There's the religious conversion narratives and becoming a fan narratives. There is a, a similarity. So William James, philosopher and psychologist in the United States at the turn of the century, wrote a wonderful book called The Varieties of Religious Experience. And in that book, he talks about different kinds of conversion, and he basically says there are two different kinds. One is gradual, through a series of escalating moments, you realize God in your life. Or it happens suddenly. It's like a bolt of lightning and suddenly, you know, you you, you see God. It's similar for fans. Uh, some fans, you know, will will talk about this, this very significant, discreet, explicit moment when they became a fan. Sometimes it's at a concert. Mm. Sometimes it's, you know, uh, they're in a, a coffee shop and Bruce is playing and, and mm. they suddenly realize, wait a minute, like that, that's amazing. Get that album. Or they're in the car and it comes on the radio and they have to pull over because the song is just just hits them. For other fans, it's gradual. For other fans, it's just, you know, um, you know, one's mom playing Bruce in the house and you kind of, you know, mm. being mildly interested, but over time it kind of seeps into your, <laughs> your thinking. Mm. Um, so anyway, conversion, uh, the, uh, becoming a fan narratives are uh, a really interesting uh, phenomenon. The parallel between religion and being a fan plays into this notion that you're just talking about, about ritual and... Yeah, and, and there are scholarly debates about this. I, I'm, I'm of the persuasion that fandom is not religion per se. It is like religion. Yeah. Um, you know, there have been some scholars that have argued that uh, fandom is a, you know, the, the religion of the industrial age. You know, we have celebrities and we worship celebrities and, and that kind of thing. 
I think that language is too strong. The fans that I talked to, uh, some of them were also quite religious. But that was different than fandom. It wasn't the same. So I think in a way, the emotions of fandom, the kinds of uh, commitment that mm. one feels in being a fan, is sort of looking for a language to describe the feeling. And religion provides that. Yeah. It provides yeah, just yeah. the way to articulate, like, what is it that I'm doing here? Uh, and, and how... I don't think... Something that you're a fan of could provide you with a set of morals or not categorically like religion can. Mm -hmm. So you can't sort yeah. of rule, run your life over. You can definitely with the Bible, so, but you can't with greetings from Asbury Park. It's, you know. it's just it's just not the same thing. Mm -hmm. and, and art, you know, uh, of, of various kinds can be significant moving and you know and transformative actually in in one's life and that's fine and but it isn't the same thing as religious faith that, that, that's that's my opinion people disagree with me and it's an ongoing uh, conversation but it's you know it's certainly it's just an interesting way one. of discussing it and trying to yeah. understand what it is about uh, being a fan or a supporter of an artist just how, how it all fits into our world yeah. the other thing that I'm thinking about and working on is the the history of this behavior, so where it comes from. Mm -hmm. And uh, my last book in uh, 2011 uh, was called Listening and Longing, uh, Music Lovers in the Age of Barnum. And it covers the period between 1830 and 1880, and it really looks at people that were fans of music in that time period. Mm -hmm. They didn't call themselves fans. Fan was not a word you know, that had emerged yet. That doesn't come around until the 1880s, 1890s. But they were clearly <laughs> engaging in fan-like mm. activity. Mm. And this is a time in the U.S. anyway when the music business was starting and the concert business was starting. There were a lot of performers from Europe uh, coming over to the United States and doing massive concert tours and this sort of thing. And people would show up uh, in the tens of thousands uh, mm. to their concerts and sometimes to greet them, you know, in the street. Mm. And I just I, I examine what all, why all that started. And what I can figure out is that the entertainment business really asks you to have a an ephemeral or, or discreet experience for the price of a ticket. So you buy your ticket and you're going to go have an experience watching or listening and then it's going to end, right? So that's how the price is configured. Fans rejected that. Fans said, I don't want it to end. Fans said, I want to have a different kind of relationship that isn't just a, a business transaction based on the price of a ticket. Uh, I want to I want to get to know the performer. Mm. I want to bring that art into my life. Mm. I want to engage with it uh, on my own terms rather than on, on the terms of a, of a promoter. Mm. And so there's this complex thing where fans are buying lots of tickets. So they're engaging in the business and actually supporting the business, but they're doing it for reasons that the business doesn't recognize. They're doing it out of love and passion and sustainability, whereas the business kind of resists that. Uh, they, 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 want, they want lots of people to engage and buy tickets, but there's a limit to that, and they don't want people continually you know, surrounding the performer and engaging with the performer. And this is in the early 1800s or mid-1800s. Yeah, yeah. This, is, this really develops around the 1850s. Yeah, uh, so what, what are the, what's the ingredients that allows that to happen? Like, why not before then? 
Oh, interesting. Well, I think not before then, because before then there's a, a kind of limited access to culture. It's uh, communal and local. So I just take um, music as my specialty. So I think this expands outward to other forms. But in terms of music, in order to even have music in the first place, people would have to make it. Mm. And so musicality was defined in a different way before, say, 1830 in the United States. You'd have to sing or play an instrument, and that took effort and work and so on. And so music was just configured in a very different way. I'm sure people loved music and they loved playing music, but it, it wasn't... It, the, really? There wasn't this business relationship involved. No, I'm wondering if there was an economic possibility prior to, say, 1830 or 1850, mm. there wasn't a wider population that had disposable income. Oh, I, I, absolutely true. I think that, that that's a very good point. So, yeah, the mid-19th century is a time of industrialization and urbanization and immigration, right? Mm. So, you know, you have cities building, populations are growing, and the kind of infrastructure is, is developing. And then infrastructure is actually quite impersonal. If you think of urban environments, you don't know everybody. You know, there's, there's strangers, and, and mm. you, you can't engage with others in the way that you might in your home home village or in a, in a more rural area where everybody knows everybody. Mm. And so fandom is almost a way to continue a, a, a more communal, local relationship, but in a completely different um, environment. That's all I got, though. I mean, this is an extraordinarily uh, complicated topic. Mm. And one of the weird things that, that I've wrestled with is, you know, if I want to know the history of something, where do you begin? Yeah, how do you even, ask, how do you even, how do you even figure this out? So, like, I want to know the history of you know passionate commitment to celebrities. Uh, you know. Yeah. So, one the one thing I did was I turned to diaries. Yeah. Okay. I really wanted to. I, I there are many accounts of audiences over time, but they're often from elites or from journalists mm. who have a very particular agenda, mm. and they're filtering the behavior in a way that is usually negative. Mm. Uh, and I really wanted to hear from people themselves about their own experiences and feelings. And one way I did that was to look at look at diaries. I looked at hundreds of diaries for listening and longing. I learned a lot about you know fixing fences and the weather and you know weather. And then one entry about <laughs> whether the chickens were you know laying enough eggs and all that sort of thing. Mm. Uh, but on occasion, mm. someone would describe a concert they had been to, mm. and I would I would uh, you know uh, note that down. Mm. And after you know about a hundred diaries, I would have maybe twenty or thirty accounts of concerts, little mm. paragraphs. Yeah. You start to put those together, and then yeah. you can sense you can patterns and really start to build uh, you know what it looks like. And then you can go back to other sources. I use paintings, definitely newspapers paper accounts. I used memoirs. Oh, I even went to spaces that people had mentioned because they were talking about their experiences in certain concert halls. Most of the concert halls are gone, but some of them still exist. So you can mm -hmm. go to those concert halls and experience, at least sonically, something close to what they experienced back then. Mm -hmm. 
That's not conventional history by any any stretch, but it helped me to kind of get into the mindset of, of these um, informants, basically, and helped uh, helped me to understand their uh, experiences. Yeah. So it, it's you know I, yeah. I I love histories like that that you yeah. know the, the history of they're salt very personal, aren't they? Like <laughs> history of corn. <laughs> yes, just pick something and and trace it right back <laughs> back as far as you can or forward as far as you can and I just find that a really interesting way to, to do history. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's cool. And it's creative. Well, it is, yeah. And that, that's the other thing that, uh, that I think I bring to my work is that I approach history like an anthropologist. I'm not entirely convinced that history is out there for us to discover. I think history is something that we build with each other. Yeah, it, okay. it is a kind of interpretation. It's a shared interpretation. Yeah, right. And it, in, it involves interaction with others. Just as an anthropologist would go someplace and, and have an experience there and talk to lots of people and yeah. then use that to make sense of what's going on, I do the same thing with the past. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, the people are dead and they don't talk a lot, but but I can, recent but history, but yeah. through diaries and through these other forms, I can uh, try to communicate, so to speak, uh, with them and and build a story. Yeah, yeah, yeah stories. Mm -hmm. Sure. When you were a child. Did you always just delve into history or did you go outside and actually play in the neighborhood? <laughs> I did both. I, I, I did both. I, I've always loved books. Yep. Just read all the time. And, you know, I've, I'm kind of an introvert and, and books are a kind of peaceful place for me. Yeah. So, you know, it doesn't mean I don't like being with other people. No. It's just, it's exhausting. Uh, and yeah, I need okay. to kind of recharge. And for recharging for me is going to the library. Yeah. There's only one person in this room apart from you. It's me. So we're not. <laughs> We're not having a party here, <laughs> yeah. so you don't have to be exhausted. It's fine. It's okay. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, 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 but I played hockey. I you know I yeah. was outside you know in the yeah. in the neighborhood. You know, what about your parents? Did they were they professionals? Were they academics? No, they weren't academics. I mean, they were uh, they they both uh, went to college. Uh, my mother was a school teacher, um, and then mm. she once uh, her children came along, she she stopped doing that. My father was a uh, um, an executive for the gas company. So uh, certainly they... Did you get cheap gas? Did he bring home gas every no, other no. Friday? He was an extremely ethical man. No, no that, 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 would not have, that would not have occurred. Uh, <laughs> I did learn a lot about natural gas, though. Did you? Uh, oh, sure. Where did yeah, you grow up? Boston, Massachusetts. Yeah, right. Is yeah. there a gas field near Boston? No. No, it's all shipped in, I believe. Yeah, we're going to... It's all L LNG tankers, you know, coming to... And maybe even from Australia, because we've got a huge export of natural possible. gas. Quite possible. From... South Australia, uh, not not South Australia, but Southern Eastern Australia. Boston used to have these very large LNG yeah. uh, tanks, yeah. liquid natural gas tanks on the harbor. And I yeah. do remember going to a company cookout at the tank grounds, oh, right. which was seriously so hot and industrial. Hole. I mean, <laughs> they drilled a hole in the tank, just lit it, and then you could cook a burger. You know, it's yeah, fantastic. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Not dangerous at all. No. <laughs> So anyway, that's that's. I mean, so but but I grew up in a household <laughs> that at least uh, respected education, yeah. and um, it, it you know it happened that I I did okay at school. School was not a challenge for me, or, or put it this way, I enjoyed it. 
and I just wanted to learn more. Yeah. And so I just I just read and read and read. So yes, I've always been really interested in ideas. Yeah, yeah. And history in particular? No. Uh, I've I I I mean my motto is read indiscriminately and yeah. write precisely. Yeah, so okay. I I read everything. Um, you know, when I was in high school I was reading philosophy, uh, lots of different kinds of literature, history of religion, I was reading about music. I, I just I had just lots of interests. I just, yeah. I'm curious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, clearly, because you're, just from the whole way you've been talking, like, if you can find a story about any tree in any part of the world, <laughs> it's a curiosity, isn't it? Like, yeah, I just, I mean, and I don't know, I honestly don't know where that comes from, but it motivates me. It's food for me. I just, you know, if yeah. I can think about something, I'll just kind of do it in all directions and just follow the paths uh, where they lead. So in many ways, you know, it's funny when I got, I, I have a degree in literature as an undergrad, and then... Hey, wait, literature, is, is that like the study of literature, or is that the writing of... Oh, a g good good question. It is it is both, but I, I was uh, reading. I was reading. Just, I was uh, a um, literary criticism, yeah. is, is the way to put it. Yeah. Uh, after that, I got a couple master's degrees and a PhD in American studies. And American studies is a vast interdisciplinary yeah. field. It's the history and culture of the United States, which mm -hmm. basically can lead in all kinds of directions. Yeah. I'd always been interested in music, so I yeah. did focus on music, yeah. but I had many other interests. And, yeah. and the problem for me was that I couldn't get a job because I was too much of a generalist and the university world is, is, is very specialized. I would have thought so, having a PhD would you'd be absorbed into academia. Uh, that, yeah. used, that used to be the case, uh, but when I graduated in the 90s, that was no longer yeah, the case, right. and it's definitely not the case now. Is that uh, right? PhD is not a ticket to anything. Oh, in fact, it's man. probably a ticket to poverty. Oh, and, yeah, yeah, because you've got a debt up to your eyeballs and beyond. Yeah, and you know, you've not saved for retirement because it takes so long to get the degree, and then, mm. at least in the U.S., and I'm, I think it's also true in uh, Europe and, and elsewhere, uh, the jobs yeah, are, are dwindling. So. They're just yeah. not around. They're just well, not there. as more and more people get PhD, and the sure. universities are squeezed with funds yeah. and don't employ then. And a lot of universities are turning to part-time teachers rather than full-time, so it's cheaper for them. Mm. Um, I don't. I don't think it's it's they're in necessarily you know sitting in a meeting and saying you know we, we need to just hire part-time faculty. Conspiracy. Yeah. Well. Eh, no, it's totally. Yeah. But that is the trend. Uh, so jobs are are gone. So what did you do? You've got a PhD. Yeah, got a PhD. Uh, kids by now too, probably. Indeed, and healthcare and, costs and things like and that. And going, daddy. Yeah. And yeah. wife or partner <laughs> saying, Dan. Exactly. Get it go together. Go get a bloody job. <laughs> you know, I, I think she did say that at one point. Um, yeah, I know. But I, I, I kicked around as an, uh, an adjunct for a while. An adjunct would be years. what? Somebody who's working in the university? Uh, Part-time teaching at various teaching. institutions. You just you get paid by the course mm -hmm. uh, and you piece together a living that way. But you don't have insurance. You don't have the kind of benefits mm -hmm. and support yeah. that really... Or stability, you know, which is kind of nice when you've got a family. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for a while, I... I did have a full-time job. My first full-time job was director of education at a museum in Seattle. Uh, it was a rock and roll museum. Beautiful. Uh, experience music project. And 
Sorry, that's the museum. That's what it's called, yeah. Experience Music Project. Yeah, it's not called that anymore. It has shifted. This was back in the late 90s. Yeah, okay. So, so it, I, yeah. I can imagine, like, there being Nirvana and, and Sonic Youth exhibits. and. Yeah, in, in fact, there so, there were. Yeah, there was a Northwest exhibit that yeah. uh, explored the, the music of uh, Oregon and uh, Washington and that whole kind of grunge scene. Yeah. Right? Uh, but we also had a punk exhibit. Uh, there was a hip hop exhibit, Jimi Hendrix. There was a guitar gallery, you know, that kind of thing. A very exciting place to be, actually. Yeah. Learned a lot uh, through that experience. But it, it didn't last long. It didn't work out. There was a, a kind of transition in staffing and all of that. And, and I uh, went back to my home in the East Coast. Um, yeah. So you moved your family so, out there? Because that's a. No, the family stayed in the East Coast. We were kind of seeing what would happen. Oh, uh, and it well, didn't quite work out. So then, so I. I just went back. But when I went back, there was a full-time job at this place called Rhode Island School of Design. And I had heard of the school, but, you know, I, I mean, I didn't know really it's what it was. It's not very prestigious, is it? You well, wouldn't it's really, just, you know, yeah, it's yeah, 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 it's, just, sort of, <laughs> <laughs> it's a regional tech school, you know. No, no, I, I, I had heard about RISD and certainly knew that it was a, you know, a prestigious art school mm. and all that. In fact, I had taught there uh, part-time, mm. and so I knew, you know, a little bit of, of the students and mm. some of the other faculty and all that. But a full-time job opened up in the Department of History, Philosophy, and Social Sciences. Mm. And I thought, this is perfect. History, mm. philosophy, and the social sciences. Mm. What else is there? That's kind of everything. Mm. So I can In do a that. school of design, too, which is kind of yeah. looking at culture and all the things that yeah. you're into. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I applied. Uh, things went well, and they, they hired me. Uh, and I, I'm now in my 24th year there. And it was very exciting for me because I was the, the historian of, of the United States anyway. I was uh, the Americanist on yeah. staff. And I was teaching all electives. So I could teach pretty much anything I wanted. Yeah, right. And so I started teaching film. Yeah, right. uh, I taught courses in music. I taught cultural theory. I taught the American History Survey. Um, What's the American History Survey? Oh, it's the American History Survey. It's standard at most colleges and universities in the United States. It's American history. Oh, okay. Usually takes place over two semesters, uh, beginnings to the Civil War and Civil War to the present. Do, do people try and skip that particular class? Or? Yes, they do. <laughs> it's really good for providing context for other uh, courses that are typically more interesting that kind yeah. of zone in on, on, on yeah. topics. But it all, look, all that stuff, it depends on how it's presented. Because, yeah. I mean, American history, Australian history... God damn. <laughs> so interesting. But if, you, if yeah. you're just going to concentrate on facts and figures, yeah, exactly, you're going exactly. to fall asleep. Right. So it, it, the way I approached it was was to really think about the stories. Yeah. Um, and I actually have hundreds of lectures on, on my computer. The way I teach is that I write everything out. Yeah, right. It's not typical, but it's, it works for me. Uh, and then when I'm in class, I kind of throw the script away. But the writing it out helps me to know what I'm going to say. I get how that would work. Yeah. 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 And... Um, I just find the stories fascinating. I had a professor back in college who was an amazing storyteller and would captivate an audience of literally 800 to 1,000 people in this huge lecture hall and would just tell great stories. And so I always kept that in mind. And I said, if I'm going to teach this kind of course, that's what I have to do. There's a real craft in storytelling. Mm And is that something you can go and study somewhere or learn? Have you, have you done that yourself or have you just sort of thought, no, I'm going to... Well, I don't... I mean, I think... I, I don't know that I've studied that explicitly, but... 
Growing up, my the first thing I wanted to be was was an architect, mm-hmm. uh, and but I was told I didn't have the math skills, and so you know that's, that's not not the path for you. So that that ended. Do, I, do I'm still rec- kind of frustrated by that. But <laughs> yeah, but but you built your own house. Tell me you have you have so, been you? Second thing I wanted to be was a novelist, and yeah, uh, because I was reading so much and reading in mm-hmm. particular so much fiction, I started to write it myself, and I wrote stories and. Do you still have ambitions in that area? Yeah, someday. Yeah, yeah. I'd like to. I mean, I'm creative. I'd like to do that again. Absolutely. You know. (laughs) It's got to be a better tree, though. Um, (laughs) What would be the genre that you'd write in? Oh, gosh, that's so interesting. I I don't know. I mean, in in terms of my own reading and watching, I gravitate toward science fiction. Mm. But I also just love just good everyday life drama. You know, uh, rendering one's experience, whatever that, that may be. Science in extraordinary fiction. detail, like I love that. Jonathan Franz and yeah, yeah. that sort of yeah, that yeah. that kind of thing. So I I really can't say I, d- I don't know. I mean, you know, if I could have written Battlestar Galactica, that would be fantastic. That's like my favorite. Battle Farkas, Fantastica. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. <laughs> That's what we used to call it. Nice. Uh, uh, so I so I I don't know, but anyway, but wait, back to the question. So my my uh, interest in being a novelist helped me with storytelling because I was practicing and yeah, doing that on my own, and I and I bring that into my academic work. Even when I'm writing history, I'm trying to tell stories. Yeah. Each chapter is a story. Yeah, it has yeah. a beginning and has an end. You only reveal so much. There are dramatic moments as you mm-hmm. as you narrate what's what's happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you have to try to hook an audience. You have yeah, to. Yeah. You, you you can't just expect them to love what you're saying, you need to help them to love it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this podcast is designed to make a revolution and you're a maker and a designer. It's not of a, an object. They're kind of more ephemeral like ideas. You're designed to make ideas. You definitely make books and yeah. there's design all over the place in a book. That's, yeah. 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 And it's funny because we segregate these things, you know, because we, we segregate the makers of objects from the the, say the makers of mm. of ideas. Yeah, we don't see the interrelationships or how the process is so similar. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I start with a blank page. Other people start with a blank canvas or just a piece of wood or a material, and yeah. and then something comes of that after yeah. we explore and iterate and experiment and mm. revise. And, uh, and you can do yeah. that with a pen or a hammer. And or yeah. a piece of clay or whatever. It's the, yeah. the 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 way people create is a terribly human thing, mm-hmm. and the conversation about the creative process is woeful. Yeah. And I mean, I don't want to sort yeah. of be critical about that because it's so difficult to talk about because it is such a personal thing and because there aren't necessarily words that can adequately describe how somebody could go about it. Yeah, and it, it, and it is very hard to be reflective about it in a way because mm. oftentimes you don't quite know what's happening. I don't think, happening. I think the parts so. of the brain that we use when we get be creative aren't necessarily vocal parts. They're not even perhaps conscious parts, mm-hmm. although they, they take place and they come forward into our conscious part of the brains, and that's why we can't necessarily talk about it in a way that other people can understand. You can say... I start with a blank page and I look at the table and the first thing I see is my mobile phone sitting on the table and that's how I get an idea or something like that. But it kind of it may not work that way for somebody else. And, yeah. But I think it's a super interesting topic. Yeah, and I and I do agree with you. I think it's a form of 
It's a form of thinking that is unrecognized. And quintessentially human. Absolutely. Absolutely. We can all do it. We, we can, can all do, do it. it, but I wonder if... And, the other, and we probably do all do it. We do, don't know. Do other animals do it? Ah, that's a very good question. Do dolphins do it? Yeah. I mean, dolphins it, have I, I pretty big yes. brains. I you think, think yes. Yeah. I don't know. Well, think of birds building a nest. How do they build the nest? They're making choices. Genes? Because their DNA describes it? Well, I mean, that's that's a scientific way of thinking about it, yeah. I but mean, there may be other ways to think about it, because we, we can't ask the birds. We don't know their language. Yeah, we better bloody learn it quick <laughs> I want to know. <laughs> it's true. It's I want to know. Maybe they have they have um, critical analysis of nests. Yeah, well, maybe. I'll. Actually, I reckon they probably do. Like if, if a male bird builds a nest or a female bird. No, mm-hmm. the, the male bird would build a nest to try and secure the female mm-hmm. bird, right? Yeah. yeah. And the female bird is the critic. Yeah. There you go. She accepts it or she doesn't. She doesn't. <laughs> the peacocks, male peacock feathers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's right. It's like, yeah, not good enough. I'm, I'm moving on, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, I know. I know. No, it's really interesting. The other thing for me that, that I find very creative um, is, is teaching, but I find it creative in a different way because when you're writing or when you're making, it's often a solo activity. Uh, I mean, you can collaborate with others, of course, but mm. typically it's, it's you with, with the idea, with the work. When you're teaching, you're trying to move a group of people from diverse experiences and backgrounds from point A to point B. And you're doing it live, mm. and you're doing it with other 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 people, so it also feels very creative to me. And it's but but it's a, but it's a different kind, uh, and you have to be hyper attentive mm. to what's going on around you. You have to pick up on really small cues, and just little little insights that you can then build on and network and 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 um, it, it's very interesting even from the beginning of a. Uh, a class meeting session to the end of class meeting session. That's kind of a a moment of making, and you're you're. You, God, that's interesting. As as you're going, you can kind of measure how what's what's happening. It's it's all experimentation. You try something, sometimes yeah. it falls flat. Yeah. And I bomb all the time in the class, but yeah. I I quickly recognize it and pivot and do something else. Yes. Kind of like you know, if I were alone in writing, and I kind of I, I sometimes I talk about getting muddied. Like I'll, I'll head down a path that just doesn't really in the end make sense. I have to be able to reflect and recognize it and pivot and start yeah. writing again or head in a different yeah. different direction. So each class is like that, and then an entire course is a series of those moments, which is very much like iterating in, in the studio, you know, and you end up with something at the end. Now, here's yeah. the, the crazy part is what you end up with is people who have been transformed in some way, hopefully. Hopefully. So that's the problem. Mm. Unless you're teaching American studies or what's that thing called American survey, <laughs> and then they've just got a lot of sleep caught up on this. <laughs> but not from you, of course, because you make stories. <laughs> that too is a transformation. Well, no, it could be, because well, I think yeah. sleep's a really good thing. Well, the, the funny thing is that sometimes I'll get uh, um, postcards or notes from students five years after they've oh, graduated. Oh, what a fantastic thing. And, and they say, I'm really sorry I was a jerk in your class or that I slept in your class. I get it now. Yeah, the tombow went off. I suddenly realized what yeah. you were talking about because I've had you yep. know, such and such an experience. Yep. That's what keeps me going. Ideas are amazing so, like that, aren't they? Mm. An idea may not take hold yeah. for years. True. Another idea might take hold straight away. Yeah. And in, in five years' time, somebody's gone, no, that's 
That's yeah. rubbish. Yeah, right. Right. Insight. It just it's unpredictable and uh, profound when it happens, but you just you just don't know. So what what you're doing when you're teaching is mm. to get people to think. Yeah. Yeah, in, independently and actively and with enthusiasm. Yeah, yeah. And, and that can be hard because, you know, we have lives and pressures and obligations and, yeah. and problems and all that. So sometimes you're just not in the right headspace. Yeah. But when you are and it clicks, it really works. Yeah. So. yeah, yeah. Uh, if you're not in the right headspace, you make sure everyone feels really shitty. <laughs> <laughs> Sure, I so, yell at them, like, you know. Well, yeah, no, I think you can do it better than yelling. I reckon if you kind of, like, come at them in a sort of really passive-aggressive way and just sort of <laughs> niggle. <laughs> got to be yeah. creative about this, there, there are different ways to come at this. You know, when, when you take, like, a, a course in, uh, you know, pedagogical theory and that sort of oh stuff. Oh, my God. You, you can be sort of, you can come at it like a, uh, as a hard-ass and really, like, force people to, to do things in a certain way yeah. or you, uh, my way is a little softer yeah. I openly uh, talk about how well that question just bombed or yeah, if the class yeah. is silent I will actually you know I'll hum a little bit I'll look out the window I'll kind of make yeah. a joke of it and yeah. it puts people at ease and then usually someone someone. I think you need something. to be much more of a Nazi I think you should just get your gun out and say right you listen you what or I'm going to I'm, I'm, I'm very bad at that actually what getting your gun out yeah well being a Nazi oh uh, yeah <laughs> How do you come up with ideas for books? Now, yeah. this is actually broader because an idea for a book can come like that and you can get inspired by it, but an idea that for a book that's going to grab you for a couple of years, which is going to take, that's how long it's going to, how do you mess up? So, I mean, one way to answer that question is to say that any idea I have for a book is not usually what I end up writing about. So I will typically start with something that seems interesting and and rich uh, in in terms of a subject for writing. But um, once I get into it, uh, I I think consistently I have realized that that was wrong. (laughs) That my idea was not quite what is most interesting. So the idea for a book for me is is a place to start, and it's a it's kind of a opening a door to a room, but you have no idea what's in the room yet. So it's a, it's a it's a starting point. Now, how do I come up with those ideas? I just keep a list. You know, like everybody, I have a journal, and I just write down interesting things and think up ideas, and and then you know there's practical aspects to that too. So I may come up with an idea, and I'm all excited about it, and I get started on it, and I realize that someone's already been working 20 years in that book and they're just about to publish it and it's like ah well maybe I shouldn't do that on the other hand I think people don't own topics believe quite strongly in that and I think that we each bring our own experiences and our own insights to bear on any topic and so you can have 10 books on the same topic that's actually great that's interesting so you know you have to just kind of make decisions about it but I I just I tend to follow my passions I just tend to follow what's what's interesting and one book leads to the next so you know like Tramps Like Us was uh, uh, about audiences um, and uh, rock and roll after writing Tramps Like Us which was about the current moment, I really became interested in, well, how did all this develop? Where does this come from? So then I wrote Listening and Longing, which was a history of that. Um, You know, and and the next book I'm I'm guessing is going to be some kind of history of passion, uh, a really Mm -hmm. big, broad history. It's almost almost like... Yeah, so I did 20th century, so to speak. 
19th century, and now I really want to blow it apart and yeah. do it cross-culturally yeah. uh, and really think just just in terms of human life on the planet. I mean, that's huge, but, you know. If, if I'm going to invest time and energy and dollars into... Uh, an artwork that I make speculatively from uh, for an exhibition. I'm going to be thinking about what that market is as well. Mm-hmm. Do you consider that as part of your set of ingredients? Like, I have to admit, I'm I've not been great at thinking about markets, but. I think about audience a lot, which is slightly different than than, than a market, but audience is kind of the I same. If, I wonder if... I mean, I, so in my writing, I think a lot about tone. Academic yeah. writing can be very off-putting. Uh, it's kind of an, it's an insider language. There's, there's a lot of just, you know, stuff that academics care about that normal people won't. Uh, and so I'm, I am very conscious of that. And when I try to write, I try to write um, for a general audience. That is for yeah. a non-academic audience. Yeah. You know, I think about will my mother want to read this and and yeah. like it. Uh, you know, will my my friends who are not in academia will they enjoy this? I book? guess you so. would write academic papers too that are pretty more uh, more specific. Sure. Sure. Well, you you yeah, have to as as part of the business. So my market, you know, if I'm writing for the academic market, yeah, you have to write in a in a certain yeah. way. No, I think actually so, I'm not thinking about audience. No, I, I understand. Yeah, I mean, market for me is about sales. Yep. And when I think about that, it, it, you know, certainly have to to consider. You're making design decisions based on you know will, will this actually get any traction, or am I just doing this for myself? If I'm trying to make some money from this, or a living from this, uh, sure. Yeah, you, you have to consider, you know, what what you're doing. Will the topic appeal? Is it too obscure? You know, like that 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 kind of thing. And and again, what's what's the tone you're taking in yeah. in, in in the work? Tramps like us was written for a general audience. Uh, it, it it's academic, and I've been I've gotten you know reviews on Amazon that say that this is a little too academic. But other people have said it's kind of it's it's accessible. Yeah, uh, it's pretty well reviewed. You know, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, it's it's done okay. It's still yeah. selling. That's yeah. that's that's cool. Uh, listening and longing is more academic because I I had not written. I, I was teaching history and I had not written uh, a, a book, an academic book on history. And I vowed to myself, I'm going to prove to myself that I can do that. Mm. So I wrote a history book. It's it's a it. I think it's very accessible, but it, it concerns debates that are important to historians. Mm. Um, and I think my next book, I would I would like that to be definitely for a non-academic audience. Yeah, yeah a, a, a general book. The privilege that I have is that I'm a, um, I'm a professor and administrator at a college, and that is my that's my day job. I mean that that keeps me. Uh, alive and you know keeps the, with an income keeps and the kids with shoes. Keeps, keeps the kids with shoes and and then I and then I write and I write yeah. as part of that but you know the the downside with day jobs all day jobs mm-hmm. is that they're pretty consuming of time and energy and absolutely how do you go about negotiating that between what that's gonna because that job will be a great big black hole of energy yeah I mean the, the you know you have to sacrifice your health or your relationships basically <laughs> so <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking, audience. It takes a lot of uh, reflection and negotiation. You have to be very attentive because the work can consume you. Actually, both the creative work 
and the the the, the day job. Hundred uh, percent. And so it's all about balance, and it's all about being able to cut it off and give yourself yeah. this many hours to do this work, and then that's it, and then mm. toggle you know the switch and go. Are to you the, okay with the that? Next Can day. you if you got schools that? Well, starting out, no, not at all. I mean, I'm a kind of a workaholic. I'm yeah. I'm obsessive. I I I, I get lots, into lots things. Of designers even, and artists you know. and makers. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, it's 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 extremely hard. Uh, but I've been doing it for um, more than a couple decades now, mm. and I think I've gotten better at it. Um, you know, you can talk to my family, and they may say, "No, he's terrible at it." But mm. I think I'm better than I was, and um, I I have more more just more perspective on what's important. Yeah. So the way I sort of see it is that you not only get skills in um, the creative aspect, writing, reading critically thinking, but you also get skills with how to uh, make that balance and what's important for you and those notions of what's important to you. I mean, you know, when you're starting out and you've got a career, when I was starting out, yeah. that was it. Right, yeah, right. 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 How could you do anything else? Because you're trying to build this, right? You're 100%. trying to make it work. And, yeah. you know, the, the things that um, got left behind were basically the things at home. Yeah. And there's prices yeah. to be paid. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. Right. Yeah. So this is a common theme across the board with people yeah. who have passions and yeah. want to pursue something that's a little bit, you know, it's not like we go and sit in cubicles and yeah. sell insurance. It's not nine to five. It's it just not. It doesn't actually happen within business hours kind of thing. Yeah. So there's, um, there is conversations to be had with our partners and our children Absolutely. and Absolutely. our workplace yeah. and even amongst in our own brains about what it is that's important and how we go about doing it. Yeah, no, and, and and it's really hard. I mean, it's it's not even just having the conversation isn't easy because you're asking people to accommodate something that you know just doesn't fit into the the structures. You know, I mean, it's. Mm. I think that's one thing for the students at at, at RISD. It's exciting for them because they've they're often coming from high schools where art is sort of you know tangential it's not part of the structure but then they come to a place where it's all about art and design all the time it's incredibly exciting now the problem is that they have to leave <laughs> they graduate or they'll get families themselves go back to the world go back to those structures that yeah. doesn't really accommodate this, this this kind of creative work and then how do you how do you do it how do you do it yeah. and I think I don't think there's uh, one right answer. I think everybody works this out in their own way, no. given their own circumstances. And people have different ingredients. But within that, I think we do learn skills. Like how do you get, you know, if you have a dark space in your life for a mm -hmm. period of time, mm -hmm. your mum gets sick, your wife gets sick, mm -hmm. your wife saying, mm -hmm. I'm out of here, mm -hmm. whatever. Yeah. yeah. Stuff like that happens. Yeah. How do you, or if you, if you got, had any of those, experiences and how have you yeah well, I, I mean I, I've certainly have yeah I mean you know life moments uh, yeah I've, I've I'm not asking yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm not asking you for personal stories yeah, I'm yeah. just asking you for how you've gone about the ways of thinking to come out of those places yeah it's hard I mean I, I'm uh, I'm not sure I have you know, great advice. I mean, I think I've stumbled along like everyone else to, to figure out issues of balance. 
I've made myself, you know, I've, I've uh, hurt my health on, on occasion where I've just gotten really sick because, because I've been working too hard or because I haven't been able to find the balance. And the, I guess the one thing that I try to do is I try to take a step back. I always try to take a step back, uh, which allows me to, to reflect on what's going on, like step outside of yourself for a minute. Uh, and just try to assess what's what's important, and also recognize that, you know, the, we have time. So if I have to pull away from something, from a project, for instance, for a certain period of time, just knowing that it'll be okay and I can return to it, mm. that takes some experience to do. When I was younger, I would think, well, I can't lose momentum. I can't pull away. I can't. You know, like it's not going to be good anymore, right? Mm. I, I now know that it will be okay. <laughs> that I can go back to something and actually it might even be better. Uh, could be you worse. you come back with a different mindset. Yeah. You come back with new ideas. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. And we all develop little tricks. You know, I mean, I think mm. switching, for me, the most important skill that I've learned is, is switching. Being able to turn things off and turn things on. So yeah. being able to go from one project to the next or one mundane task to an exciting project and being able to navigate that. It it's, it, again, not, not an easy skill to learn. No, and what you're you know, saying, I think, is that you're giving your full attention to that task, whatever that task is, mm-hmm. and then when it's finished or you can, mm-hmm. click full attention to the next task yep. so that you're not doing, like, 5% of the work 100% of the time. You're doing 100% of the work 5% of the time. Right. Right. Mm. And that's, but that's, you know, again, that's a different way of working mm. than... Uh, just just doing one project or one kind of work for a, a very long period. I'm, I, I just my life doesn't afford me that, so I don't even go there. I don't think about it. It's not the way I'm going to work. I'm going to work in a different way, and I'm going to work the best way I can, yeah, yeah. given the time uh, and yeah. the commitments that that I have. Yeah, and it's turned out okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think part of it is just having faith in in yourself and faith in your ability to to engage, you know, in in all of these things. I mean, there's a lot of self doubt, you know. I think mm. uh, that that certainly, I mean, I've wrestled with, but uh, yeah, imposter I mean, syndrome. Yeah, all all that stuff, mm. all that stuff. Like, what am I doing? Am I? Is this actually going to work? Is this yeah. am I good enough for this? You know, yeah, yeah. other people seem to handle it quite well, mm. you know, from the outside. Mm. The thing is, once you start talking to other other artists, other creators, other scholars, other you know, people all have the same. They all, they're all, we're, we're all wrestling um, with. I think these problems are commonplace. Yeah. I mean, we we lead busy lives, don't we? And, gotcha. and we all do. I mean, it's just the nature of society, and you know, we or nature of humanity, maybe. But, I think but, it's the nature of our, our the way our societies and our culture is being built. I think we've been look. This is a personal opinion yeah, yeah. here. Yeah, yeah. But I think there's uh, evidence to back it up that yeah. the way our Western society is built is on a series of fallacies, mm. and we work very hard for people to yeah. take that value. Yeah. Indeed. Away from us. Uh-huh. And it's a very difficult situation to step out of right. and still have 
feel good human. Right. Like, it's kind of like when in Rome, do as the Romans do. Mm. You know, you've mm. kind of, to a certain extent, you need to buy into what's going on. One of, one of the big obstacles is that we do not make our own time. Time is made for us. We, are, we, we have to plug our experiences into a a system, a calendar system, a, an hour system, a, you know, just appointments and <laughs> schedules and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And that, that's very constricting. So when we yeah. do make choices within that framework, they're, they're, they're small choices. They're actually quite, quite small. And, and we fit the work into spots. You know, so. But we do have choices and we do have options. And we, you and I, mm -hmm. we do have time to ourselves that we can invest into the things that we yeah. do want to do. Right. So and, it is and all, it's not all doomed. No, it's relative. Oh, no, of course not. No, no, no. And, and we, I mean, I mean, philosophically, that's the bigger picture. But within that, yeah, yeah. You, and, and you can make your own time. You can make decisions to not do this and focus on that instead, right? You know, that, that kind of thing. That's what I want to have outcomes of the conversation to revolve around like how do you it is a conscious thing you've got to say okay no I've got to stop being obsessive here yep. I've got to stop being anxious here yes I'm feeling down about myself here yeah I think to to change those ways of thinking is a skill that can be learned it can be learned it can be yes yeah I mean, and people do it in different ways. Some people are, you know, they, they meditate, right? And that kind of calms down maybe anxiety or doubt and allows them to focus more, right? Uh, other people might uh, have certain techniques for how they, they uh, flip that switch and move through different different yeah. tasks. You walk know, on during, the beach. During the day, you know, whatever it may Go be. For a swim. Yeah, walk away, come back, even take a walk. Take a walk for five minutes and come back. Sometimes that can be an amazing, rejuvenating uh, action. I do this other thing when I'm writing is where I will end mid-sentence. I always end mid-sentence. <laughs> uh, so that, and, and it, this doesn't work for everybody, but for me, when I come back, I'm in the sentence again. Hey, right. And I finish it. And is then I write another sentence. Or is it something that just happens? It's something that just happened and I recognize, oh, that's what I was well, doing. Yeah. And, and so for me, that's a little technique that allows me to kind of get back into things quickly. Yeah. If I've ended the sentence, it's like, oh, now i got to think up the next sentence. So <laughs> if you're a potter, yeah. I'm a potter, but only by name. But yeah. if, you're make, if you're a ceramist and yeah. you're making on the wheel, yeah. uh, what you've got to do is halfway through that pot, just walk away uh-huh don't finish it right that's yeah it's it's similar right it's the same thing and then when you come back it's it's right there and you're in process you have, still, to, take the, you have to turn the wheel off too so if, it, if you if it closed <laughs> just a little bit soft it will collapse True. yes well yes yeah uh, when you walk into your office or classroom, what brings you the most joy? Mm. I would say that the, what brings me the most joy is the, the opportunity to do something new. You know, I, I, I find no joy or excitement in just kind of going in and doing the same thing. Mm. Paying the bills, <laughs> you know, giving announcements, you know, just the, the, the normal, normal. I love uh, delving into something that I haven't delved into before. And doing that with other people is often the most exciting thing about, yeah. about my job. It's different in the classroom than in the office, obviously. Mm -hmm. But that's kind of the overriding. It's like you 
trying to step into the unknown on a fairly regular basis and in reveling in that, there'd be some people out there that just couldn't cope. Sure. I mean, I, but I understand that, you know, that, that might, that, that might produce a kind of anxiety maybe, or... I don't or think just, any of our, my listen, yeah. Yeah, listeners are yeah. like that. Uh-huh. Yeah. No, no, no. No, they 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 embrace they, they the fully the embrace new, the, the exploration, yeah. all that kind of stuff. They're awesome humans. Yeah. All yeah. of them. Yeah, and 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 but but that's that, that's exciting to me. That's what I look for because you know otherwise it's just like well why do it? You can just hire a robot to you know do mm. do the tasks. You don't need we'll me. Put it up on YouTube. Record it once. <laughs> right, and then it's and then it's done. So that's so the that's, American survey. Yeah. It's probably YouTube. <laughs> yeah. Really, <laughs> YouTube's the American survey. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, I, that, that's how I would think I, I would answer that question. The, the the classroom for me is always unpredictable, and I actually love that. Yeah. I love that. You never know what's going to happen, no. and and you can do the same thing in one class, and then then do the same thing yeah. in another class, and it'll work great in one class, mm. but completely fail in the other class. Yeah. That's so interesting. I never know quite know why, um, but I, I and it used to uh, make me very kind of nervous and upset that unpredictable. Predictability, like, uh, you know, I worked so hard and then it just completely failed. Uh, nowadays, I kind of get a little bit of a kick out of it. I think yeah. it's interesting. And, and yeah. I, you know, I know I'm not going to lose my job over a class that goes badly. Yeah. But um, if I reflect on it, I think I could learn a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Boom. On that one. By looking at it in a different way, mm. it's not like a personal attack or anything. You look mm. at it and I'm, whoa, there's something I can get out of this that's mm. like... Yeah, I really admire stand-up comedians, actually, who, uh, uh, you know... Um, yeah. Bomb on occasion for no reason that they can predict. But you talk to a stand-up comedian, they test their work. Absolutely. They test it and test it. They have a joke. It might take a year to 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 perfect. Yeah, and that's I think that's amazing. I think I think the effort and the work and the reflection that that goes into that testing is is, that's exactly it. And that's that's what we all need to do. We need to be able to allow ourselves to to experiment and to do that testing Mm. and not have it. Um, you know, really drag us down, but kind of move us ahead. These are the sorts of skills that I was talking about earlier. You know, to look at um, setbacks, not necessarily setbacks, but as opportunities to learn perhaps or that it is an experiment. When you do something, you attempt something, you are experimenting Mm -hmm. and uh, you are going to get better at it. Mm -hmm. And that's the fun too. Yeah. And if you don't go so well at it, well, that's all right. Why? And yeah. Oh, I didn't do so well there. <laughs> yeah. But that's good. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong. You still have feelings, right? So it's still like, oh, man, that kind of, that, yeah, was, that was awful. Yeah, wants to be successful. <laughs> yes. Without doing any work. Right, 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 right. But unfortunately, we have to work. <laughs> yes. And that's the way it is. What's the new challenges coming up for you? Uh, new challenges coming up for me. Um, well, it, I mean, the, the, I think the next thing for me is just in my career to figure out what's what's next for me. I yeah, think okay. I'm I'm I've developed a good set of skills, and I really like what I do. Mm-hmm. And I'm just you know I'm trying to figure out because I'm you know mid fifties. So what's the you know what's the yeah. next? Kids are probably left home. Yeah, it's kind of what's the next thing for me uh, in in terms of the next ten or or, or so years um, before yeah. I start to near near retirement. Kind of an interesting question. It's you know, 
I don't know. Could be could be the same thing I'm doing now, yeah. or uh, it could be something that's slightly different. You're going to write Battlefarker Spastica. And that's what you call it too. You get the name right this time. Thank you, that. Thank you very much. Yes. Sure. Sure. <laughs> Full of good ideas. Yeah. Do you have any hobbies? Uh, I like to um, go to see Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, I like, yeah. No, my, my hobbies are almost, it's interesting, my hobbies are tied to my work. I like yeah. to read, you know, that's, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. but I do that for pleasure as well, and, mm. and I try to actually read things that don't pertain to my particular area of expertise, and uh-huh. I find that very enjoyable. Uh, I like uh, playing guitar. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I got a Stratocaster for my 40th birthday. <laughs> and uh, I, I had never played guitar before, so. Is it I, a vintage know, Strat? No, 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 it's, no. it's, it's, it's from Mexico. It's a, uh-huh. it's, it's a new one. A, 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 a cheaper uh, knockoff, yeah. but but lovely guitar, um, and I uh, just like the way it feels, and I've been teaching myself, you know, I grew up playing uh, piano and, yeah. and trumpet, so I have yeah. musical knowledge, but the fretboard is a completely it's different system than totally, the keyboard. It's not in front of you, you have to make... It's all know, about patterns, right? And it's yeah. just, it's really interesting. It yeah. is super interesting. Yeah, yeah, you can yeah, spend yeah. a lifetime, yeah. and people do, that's what makes, part of what makes the guitar such an awesome thing, not only the sound, yeah, which right. I personally love. Yes, yes. Uh, but also the fact that it is such a challenge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It's so, not like a keyboard yeah. where you've got there's all the notes there. All you have to do is put your fingers in the right place at the right time. Exactly. It. It's, there's a there's a different there's a different thing going on. Yeah, it's a different way of thinking, and and I just find that interesting and kind of kind of relaxing. Uh, and then I you know uh, some of my academic colleagues are horrified by this, but I watch a ton of television. <laughs> I love television. Which What's your favorite show? Oh gosh, there's so many. How could I even begin? No, come on. How could I even? Oh, I can't. I can't. I just. Uh, I mean, uh, I don't know. What, what have I been watching recently? Uh, the Kardashians. I, what? No. You watch reality. I do it. not. You do. Actually, no, I don't. Actually, <laughs> I know about it. I know about oh. it. No, I love inventive shows, and actually, we're in this golden age. Uh, just so many good there's shows so out there. So much out there, isn't it? Uh, Better Call Saul. I just. Yeah, it's yeah, fantastic. yeah. Fantastic. Uh, and the whole Breaking Bad universe oh, is God. really. Yeah. Just fascinating and great. I mentioned Battlestar Galactica before. I love that. The Expanse is another science fiction one I'm watching. That. Oh, it's on Amazon. It's fantastic. Uh-huh. It's so good. Yeah. I also uh, have like Man on Man on the High Castle. Have you ever heard of that uh-huh. one? Oh, it's another Amazon one. It's yeah. quite good. Maybe it hasn't gotten here yet, but uh, it, it'll be up. It, it says that uh, it it uh, it tells a story of when. A fictional story. If the the Nazis and uh, the Japanese Empire won World War Two, yep. uh, and w- what happens? Very interesting question. Yeah. yeah, it's quite quite well imagined, and the set yeah. design is extraordinary, and yeah. all that kind of thing. Uh, it's hard for me to talk about because I just watched a ton of it. I watch TV, you know, sometimes while I'm reading or you know yeah, prepping right. for school. Yeah. Uh, I watch it while I'm folding laundry. I'll, you know, I always have. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I always have a couple shows going on yeah, yeah. In, in my life. And it's it's not, uh, for a lot of critics, television is something that sort of, you know, melts the brain and it's the boob tube God and all no. that sort of stuff. I find it really activating. No, uh, especially it's now. Stories. It's the golden age of it's stories. television. I mean, yeah. 
there is so many awesome shows. Mm-hmm. So I, I love it. I love talking about it. And then, you know, after I watch, I'll like go online and find other people that have watched and I read reviews and I'll discuss it on Twitter and yeah, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, yeah. that's another fun thing that I do. Yeah, <laughs> well, this is what you're talking about, how communities can get formed over a common interest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how do you, how does Battlestar Galactica, yeah. you know, the things that happen in that particular universe right. relate right. to our own or my own sure. universe? Sure. No, exactly. You know, I, I actually find that, that the stories that I'm um, encountering every day uh, just help me think about my own situation and just navigate things. It's yeah, just, yeah. you know, I don't, I don't, I don't, I, sometimes I, I think about just, you know, like, you ever seen the Woody Allen movie Zelig where um, uh, it's about this guy who kind of becomes where, uh, a, a character wherever he is? Uh-huh. He sort of, his, his own identity sort of dissolves and, you know, he'll join the scene, yeah. whatever scene he's in. And, and it's, it's absurdly diverse and all that. But I, I find myself kind of doing that. I, I love to just learn about new things and kind of imagine myself in that universe and that helps me to, to yeah, think anew, yeah. you know, when I'm back to reality. Did you go and see the latest Star Wars movie? I did, I did. Do you yeah. reckon you... Oh, do you want to hear my opinion? I do. I didn't like it. No. You you're not uh, alone? I, I, I understand, yeah. yeah. For me it was it was hard to get past some of the plot points which mm-hmm. just didn't even seem to make sense. Yeah, that's the common criticism. And I went with uh, with two of my kids. We've gone to all of the recent, you know, Star Wars uh, films, and we were actually laughing out loud at the end. I'm sorry to say, <laughs> like we're like I remember looking at my son, and he was laughing, just just kind of like pointing at the screen and just going, "What is this?" You know. Uh, and uh, so we actually had a great discussion in the car on the way home. And for me, that was the the beauty and the joy of that film, was that we. Um, we talked about it and had such fun talking about it mm. afterwards. Mm. So it didn't really matter that it was yeah. bad. Uh, now, I know that I'm, not everyone thinks it's bad, and, and that's fine. But for yeah. me, um, just kind of a train wreck of a movie. Yeah. So. <laughs> Sorry. No, look. Smash it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, no, fair enough, fair enough. But, uh, you know, I... I um, uh, obviously, I, I like to reflect on things, and so there are always things in movies and things in books and so on that I can criticize. And for me, it's always a really interesting thing to figure out, like, well, what's the balance between things I like and things I didn't like? And and that's um, a, just wonderful fodder for conversation with others. Mm. And that's, that's really the fun part. Yeah. You know? The thing that makes me probably uh, a little bit sad is that there are some movies or films that I can't talk to anybody about just because I haven't found those people yet that have seen them. Mm, is that because they're obscure or? Yeah, yeah probably just because they're not, they're not mainstream or something like that. Yeah. Um, I just took my daughter to her first viewing of, uh, who did the, the thin red line? Um, uh, uh, oh, it's not terrible. I'm having a blank. I'm escaping. Uh, yeah. the, the director is, is escaping me. Don't, um, can't help. Well, anyway, I'll think of it. But I just took my daughter to uh, a director uh, that that makes movies that are, you know, not mainstream, and it was such a such a wonderful thing because I could share that um, with her and and talk about it. 
but I've seen a lot of stuff that just, you know, my family wouldn't care about or, or want to talk about. Yeah, so. I'm surprised you can't find <laughs> other people. If somebody's going to make a movie, there's going to be somebody to talk about because there are, as you'd say, movie buffs. Yeah. No, fair enough. Fair enough. And and part of that is just, you know, I don't have um, a lot of time. No, you can't typically talk about everything to everybody. To just figure, yeah. you know, figure it out. So some of the stuff I just park away and then, you know, sometimes in class it'll like it'll suddenly come out and there'll be a student that's so seen that. The exactly. Other day. exactly. And then we'll start having a conversation yeah. that completely derails the class. But bloody good. You know, anyway. Yeah, bloody good. Mm. Do you have a superpower outside of academia? <laughs> No. Right into the broom cupboard across the What does that the question even mean? I don't know. <laughs> Do you know, it's a shitty question, I've got to say, because I've asked it a few times and nobody knows what the fuck it No, I, I, I can't answer that question. No, I can't answer that. <laughs> How's this one for a question? Okay, right? okay. If you could have a superpower. Ah, interesting. Oh, if I could have a superpower. Well, mine's going to be, I think, Mm, fairly obvious, and that would that would be time travel. Yeah, yeah, you know, to kind of get backwards out of, or forwards or both. Oh, both, man. Yeah. No, not just one way. No, I got, I got to. You'd have the history all wrapped up, wouldn't that would you? Be fantastic. <laughs> just think how great my classes would be then. I don't think you'd be bothered with classes. <laughs> I just really don't think you'd give a shit. <laughs> Or maybe you'd take the class with you. Don't yeah, oh, interesting. Oh, no, you couldn't, because that would mean a machine, but we're talking about superpowers. So that's it's true, right. that's right. We'd have to have you a... just do by clicking your fingers. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah, yeah. But I, I, think, I think that... Yeah, time uh, travel's a good one. Time travel is a good one, yeah. I don't know that it's a conventional superpower. There's not mm. a lot of that. Usually it's more physical, you know? Well, you know, but... if, 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 if your superpower, at least the superpower people in your head... Mm. If they're sort of encountering enemies that are equally superpowered, mm. then yeah, you would want something that was a bit more physical. That's right. But I think superpowers can be a little bit more. Well, but but if I if that were the situation, I could just jump to you know. You could go back two days ago. You, do you know what you could do? <laughs> Let's just imagine they shoot their laser pistol at you, which is coming out of their finger, because yeah. that's their no out of their eyes. Yeah. Okay. All right. So we're going to do the, the the finger laser. Yes. Of no, course. no, laser eyes. The finger. Oh, laser eyes. All right. Never mind. Yes. Laser okay. eyes. Yeah. Um, you could jump back just a microsecond, uh-huh. Uh-huh. grab a mirror, yeah. come back. Brilliant. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. This it's is dead. This, yeah, I'm just, it's, I think it's it's one of the supreme superpowers. I think it's pretty good. <laughs> I like it. When the apocalypse comes, will you have any useful skills? <sighs> There's this guy, I you know, who... Um, uh, jokingly says that if the apocalypse comes and we need to rebuild the internet you can just look at the introduction of Tramps Like Us where Kaviki explains what email is <laughs> in extraordinary detail because I was writing that back in the early 90s, oh, you know, gosh. pre-web. Yeah. And uh, I, you know, I talk about electronic mail in quotation marks yeah. and, and kind of explain exactly how it works. And so you've the already development of the internet and all That's that. Perfect. So I don't think we'd want the internet, though. I think well, we could, we fair could say goodbye to internet. Fair enough. So then I would be completely useless uh, yeah. after after the uh, apocalypse. So, yeah. yeah. I'd be hopeless. Yeah. I mean, just like... I can use a hammer. Very good. Okay. All right. I'm not bad at plastering, so once we get to that civilized state again, I could, I could put throw up some plaster and uh, you know. Mm. Plaster. <laughs> 
I have an old good. home. Maybe that's your home. superpower. You can <laughs> be how useful are books, music, and art to our society? Oh, well, that's um, uh, more useful than I think words can uh, describe. I think mm. that they represent our, our reflective powers. That is, art, um, books, literature, movies, you know, any kind of um, aesthetic expression are ways in which we... Uh, understand the world around us. Those are the stories that we tell ourselves and those stories build our identities and really shape meaning in our lives. Mm, and as we've been talking right from the go-get, that's it. That, that's there everything. is nothing else. Yeah. And I think it's incredibly powerful. I think in um, Western industrialized society, the arts have been uh, diminished as sort of not that important, but they're still here. And, and they are important, and people continually turn to them. Uh, either through the making itself or, or as audience members for that making. Mm. It's all engagement yeah. with, the, with the world around us. And it's, it's making meaning. Yeah. And if we're not making meaning, what are we doing? Yeah. And uh, allowing people to interpret our personal meanings. And... Yeah. No, just the whole web of meaning. Shared, personal, individual, social, in the past, in the future. Mm. I mean, meaning is kind of what... what even helps us to just understand the room around us. It helps us to understand you know, who, who we are and, and um, what we will be. So, yeah, I, I actually I believe fundamentally in, in those activities. And they may take different forms over time and in different societies, but they're, they're always there. Yeah. Yeah, it's the artifacts that uh, past generations have made that uh, are the important things. You know, they're the things that we put into museums. and Yeah, yeah and I, I've had arguments with other people about, say, the arts versus um, basic necessities in life, food, shelter, and this sort of stuff. Uh, I had one, one person say to me once, I, I said something like, I, you know, I, I really can't live without music. Mm. And he said, well, you obviously haven't been starving before. Which is, which is a really great comeback. That's a, yeah. And he's not incorrect, but having said that, um, you know, I, I think there, there still is something fundamental about meaning making that, you know, perhaps doesn't supersede basic sustenance, which just allows us to survive. But you can't do that for long without making meaning. So, I agree. And if, if somebody is starving, they're not going to do that for terribly long either. They're either going to pass yeah. or they're going to find food. Mm -hmm. And when that food is there, meaning will be made. Indeed, and they're going to tell a story about it, and they're going to sing about it, and yeah. they're going to dance about it, and that food is going to take on significance that it didn't have before. And that's, that's the arts. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. it. So yeah, it's a bit, it's a, it's a good comeback, but it's a little bit. There's, there's something that's just not quite right because mm -hmm. it's not fair. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Or it's, you, yeah. you just don't starve for very long. Yeah, you know, and, and he was he was making a you know a, a kind of yeah, <laughs> functionalist point, you know, but it's <laughs> bastard. Yeah. What's his name? I'm not saying that. <laughs> no, I love it. Good. Yeah, yeah. Good. What's the best decision you ever made? Um, 
to um, get married. Yeah, cool. Yeah, for me, that kind of companionship has been a, a real lifeboat yeah. uh, for me. Uh, I know that's not true for everybody, but no. uh, for me, it's uh, completely sustained me. Yeah. And I felt like things didn't start. Uh, until that happened. Yeah. So, and it's not necessarily you know the the marriage, but just the meeting that person, knowing yeah. someone profoundly, that that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that that answer is pretty yeah. common. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. What's the hardest decision you ever made? Um. Hmm. That's a good question. The hardest decision I've ever made. Well, I've made a lot of hard decisions. Uh, not in the context of my job, but just hard, hard yeah. like life decisions, like yeah. you know which path do I take, or in in caring for others in my family. You know, you have to make pretty hard, hard decisions, life and death kind of decisions. Yeah, you know, that yeah. that kind of thing. So, yeah, I've I've had some. I've had a, a few. Yeah. <laughs> I've had a few. What's interesting about hard decisions. And I think the hardest decisions are the decisions where it's not clear, and it's it's a true dilemma. Yeah. Both paths make sense. Yeah. Uh, both paths have pluses and minuses. Yeah. And it, it, it's almost like your uh, ethical frameworks and your experience, like nothing helps you choose. Yeah. It's just a true, just you know, yeah. door one or door two, and yeah. you just have no idea yeah. uh, what's behind those doors and and how to even proceed. Those are the the most difficult positions, uh, uh, decisions. And the thing to do in a way is to, and this will sound glib, but it's pick one, right? Because you have to. And then what's important is what happens after. You don't have to. You could run away. Right. I'm only joking. No. <laughs> well, you could, but then there'll be a whole other set of difficult decisions behind yeah, you. You've just so fucked it all. You up. do not escape. Trust me. No. Uh, but yeah, but but it's but it's how we deal with the consequences of our our decisions, and that's I think probably the most important thing, and that just that requires you know a kind of steadfastness, steadfastness, and uh, faith in in yourself that you can handle things, uh, and just a, a a commitment to the consequences and to doing the best you can. But I hate those situations. Oh, <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, what do you do? Yeah, well, you know, I mean, we usually we kind of know, you know, there's some framework or experience that helps us to think through things, but but there are situations where you where, where you just don't. There's yeah. just no help. Yeah, or both of them, yep. both of the pathways are just equally devastating. Yep. That leads to the next question, yep, which so. is, have you ever made a bad one? I've ever made a bad decision? Um, hmm. Yeah, sure. I mean, I make them, I think, um, fairly frequently. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like I came to Australia. What was that all about? Oh, wow, buddy. should have just stayed home. You bloody Australians. Oh, Vegemite thing. I don't even know what's going on with that. But Mate, you, so. <laughs> yeah, well, you've obviously tried it. You're, you're not a fan. 
Do you know what, though? You probably had too much. Uh-huh, okay. You probably right. used too much of it. Yeah. And you probably haven't had it on a really nice bread toasted yeah. with lots of butter. So my bad decision was not consulting with a local about maybe. proper use of the... No, I understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah maybe. No, I know, I know. No, it's, I, not, yeah. it's not going to work for you. The, uh, I mean, b- bad decisions are... are um, Often realized in retrospect, yeah. uh, and you know they, they their decisions and whether they're good or bad is something that you would kind of attribute to them, depending on what's going on. So sometimes bad decisions, or decisions that feel bad in the in the immediate time period. May not feel so bad later on. No, they may not, and vice versa. They might transform into a good decision yeah. depending on what yeah. happens after that. So and basically, know. every fork in the road is like, well, you, you know, that the, the other fork's gone. You can't. Kind of, yeah, I mean, you can't change it, but you can recontextualize it, you can reframe it, you can kind of think about it, the new story it opens up. Yeah, and so. I reckon if you do. Uh, make a feature of your life and something goes completely wrong and you've done it and you've made a decision and that decision has been a mistake, mm-hmm. you can make amends. Mm-hmm. Yes. Things like saying sorry if it's another person. Of course. Or trying to recoup losses if it's sort of down yeah. that pathway. Yeah. And we were talking before about having a go, having experiences and having experiments. Yeah. That was my word. I think you had a different... Yeah. Every time you go into a classroom, it's a new, mm-hmm. yeah. new thing. Yeah, right. Sometimes the same thing doesn't work and so you have another go at it and yeah. you have another go at it. Yeah. That's... That's that's it. That's you. You're you're renewing. You're you know you're constantly just uh, making things anew and trying to transform them into something else. So even if they're bad, they don't have to always remain bad. Yeah, that's right. And and using that as a context, then there actually isn't a bad decision. It's just yeah. And and you know and and of course that's a little idealist because sometimes yeah you just make you just make a bad decision, but. But you also have to move on. So, mm. yeah. yeah. If you could go back and give advice to a young Dan, what would it be? And do you think he'd listen? Well, he definitely wouldn't listen. No. Nah. He was he was kind of a you know just none of our earlier head, lives headstrong, but... you know, just God. just fixed in his ways and unable to you know really see other alternatives, you know, whatever, dream away. Uh, but uh... <laughs> I think that's everybody. <laughs> I, you know, I, I don't actually know because I'm uh, fairly satisfied and okay yeah. with the way things have yeah. turned out in, in my life. So I'm not sure I would have any kind of particular advice like don't you do this of, or don't do just that. Just from like, talking to you and yeah. just the way you've been answering things, there is a kind of like a, a centeredness that you've got that seems to be inherent and, mm-hmm. you know, you've been on a... My son, I was talking to my son about this uh, yesterday, mm-hmm. and he called it not a, a, a road or a pathway, mm-hmm. but more of a river mm-hmm. in which you're in. And the river is kind of you're the water, and the water yeah. is sort of gets yeah. before you and, and past you. Yeah. And, 
and um, I kind of really like that in that Yeah, I kind of just and you and yeah. you move with you, the river the best you can, you know. Yeah. 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 No, yeah. I, I don't. I mean, I don't know that I could do anything different. I mean, I think I made the decisions I made. Just it's not doing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's more about if you could give advice. Give advice? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, the advice. Calm down would be the advice. <laughs> <laughs> Relax, you know, you, you have time and... Don't worry. Yeah, you're going to make mistakes and, and it's, it's okay. You're, yeah. You, you know, yeah, that, that would be, that would be like, the advice. I like I, Would you listen to it? Absolutely not. <laughs> no, and that's, that's the great irony, right? I mean, yeah. you know, it's just, it's just uh, our, our elders have great advice for us uh, who are maybe younger, but the young don't listen. They will when they're older. <laughs> yeah, they will. They'll have their own ideas. That's right. But because your superpower is going backwards in time, you'll be. Oh, that's that's precisely it. Uh, how can people get in touch with you, uh, unless you don't want them to? Yeah. And how can people buy your books? So the best way to get in touch with me is probably um, by email, and you can simply Google me at Rhode Island School of Design, and my my profile is there, and my my email is hard to describe because it's like my my they don't give us an, enough spaces for our full name. Oh, God. <laughs> no, it's it's like it's like dkavik at rizdi.edu. But here's the way to do it: go to the Rhode Island School of Design yeah. website, look up Dan- Daniel Kavicki. You will yeah. find my contact information. I'm happy to talk to anybody. Oh, cool. uh, and to purchase my books. So what's your phone number? Oh, but no, I'm not giving that up. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, my uh, my books are uh, available uh, still on Amazon.com. Yep. And at the easily available. Easily available. I think that's probably the quickest way. You can also go to the publisher sites, but I think Amazon is probably the best way. Yep, yep, yep. And Twitter, Instagram? I'm on Twitter. Uh, I'm also on on Instagram. Yeah, and I'm fairly active. Uh, Twitter, I think it's just Daniel.Kavicki. Yeah. If you just type in my name, I I think I'm one of the only Daniel Kavickis in the universe. There may be others, but uh, I'm, I think, among the few using Twitter and Instagram. that's C-A-V-I- C-C-H-I. Correct. Very good. Have we left anything out? No, it's been a pleasure talking to you. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, too. I thank you so much for your time. Yeah. It's been a killer, killer conversation. And we didn't even talk about the whole the vice provosting thing, which is like a whole other like realm of, uh, of activity. Yeah. I don't think that would be interesting to your listeners. I don't even. But yeah, it's quite something. I mean, words like provost, I get, I sort of get a bit scared with that. Oh no, and as you should, and. <laughs> No, but, but like running an educational institution, I'm vice provost, so I'm second to the provost. Last year, I was actually yeah. interim provost. Our oh, provost yeah, left, oh. and I was, I was the provost. Yeah. It's a really fascinating anthropological experiment. Right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> to, to, to run. Do you have to do the finance as yep. well? Yep. You've got to do the yep. whole bit. So. Budgets, a lot of politics, you know, working with the, oh. the board of trustees and all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, God but yeah. it's it, it's not... It's not work. I don't. I don't hate the work. I find it yeah. interesting, but it does make me more nervous, you know, than because yeah. it's, it's almost probably totally a lot more at stake, isn't it? A lot more responsibility. Mm. You're, you know, all the students' lives, uh, faculty, the the institution itself. You know, you're you're responsible for that, and mm. that that can be really weighty. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't enjoy that, but I do find it interesting. If that yeah. makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, so sure. I'll, I'll do it as long as it's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'll pass on it. Oh, yeah, fair. That's okay. <laughs> no, fair. <laughs>
Exactly. Fine. But only because I'm a bit scared of the word provost. It's, <laughs> the, uh, the job's probably easy. The but. faculty were asking me at the beginning, when I was interim provost last year, the be- at the, uh, we had like a, fa- a faculty gathering, and I took out a piece of paper, and I said, I, was, I looked up the word provost, and I want to tell you what provost means. And I think it's in like the Oxford English Dictionary or something like that. It, uh, the provost comes from the term provost marshal, which is a military, you know, position. Roman? British Army. Uh, I think it's British Army. Yeah, okay. And the, basically, um, the provost marshal was the um, executor of discipline in the, oh, uh, in, in the military. So the, it was better known um, through a verb to be provosted. Oh, really? <laughs> was to be flogged. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, so I read that to the faculty. <laughs> Yeah, how about we change And they're all like, oh, my God. How about we just call it something a little bit more benign? But they all know me, and they all know I I can't really do that. I'm more of a conversation kind of guy. Like, if there's a problem, I'm like, all right, come on, let's, like, what's going on? Let's talk this out. Work it out, yeah. Find our common ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so. (laughs) Funny. Funny, awesome, Dan. Very good, very good, very good. Oh, you're welcome. Um, Pleasure. Do you um, have uh, plans to go surfing or something while you're here? No, actually, um, I'm not. A, I'm not great. I love. I love the ocean. I love being at the seaside. You don't have to go surfing, but something quintessentially Australian. Oh yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if I'm gonna have time. You got time? Yeah. No, I'm leaving like not like Monday, Tuesday is it for me? Tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow is my last seminar, and then on Tuesday we do a, a, a critique, and then I'm out of here. Thank you so much for your time now. Oh, of course, yeah, yeah, of course. No, no, it's fun. Yeah. It's fun to do this. Way better than you know going back to my room and dealing with all the problems at RISD, which have not left me while I've been here. Oh, they they just there. they just keep they just keep going. Yeah. But that's fine. Um, but we're good. But, no, but I've had a great time here, and I was here back in the late '80s. Oh, okay. Uh, in Sydney. Um, this is PK, pre-kids. And, uh, you know, we did Sydney and Auckland and sort of went around. So, um, you know, I have been here before. Of course, it's changed a lot since the 80s. Oh, it's it really has. Busier, more people. Yeah, know. look, the whole sense the whole sense of an Australia that I grew up in as a kid and mm. now is very different. It's We're much more open yeah. and diverse. And yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, there's certainly a whole other wave of immigration that's, you know, come to the country, particularly from the Pacific, you know, the... So. Yeah, from Southeast Asia. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And Africa now. Africa too, yeah, yeah. Okay, right. Yeah, right. there's people from all over. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's changed everything. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll come back. I mean, I knew I was going to be here a short time. I've really been focused on the class. That's the hard part. And yeah. it's been hard for the students because they don't, they want to make stuff they want to really be in the studio and they don't want to be sitting with me doing a seminar you know yeah, but, but okay. I I don't mind that I'm used to that and so I've, I've been been working on it mm. and I think that we that we're starting to make now and the students are starting to go oh that's why I was in the seminar mm. because I've got these ideas I can work yeah, with yeah I mean so. you're all about ideas yeah, yeah. and um, making things come yeah. from an idea it could yeah. be an idea that's pretty 
stagnant and right. go anywhere. Right, right, right. Might be the first idea somebody had and was yeah. too scared to really develop it. And yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, but they're but the I guess the, their comfort zone is making. So I think they're now feeling more comfortable. You know, they were in the country okay. for the first week. They some of them have never been here. They're just yeah, making okay. sense of where can I get food and yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so it's funny. It's kind of clicking now. Yeah. And sadly, I'm leaving as it's clicking. Mm. So I'm gonna I'm gonna keep in touch and yeah, Skype in touch. And they probably just want to go and cuddle a koala too, <laughs> which they they better do pretty quick because koalas after the fires. Are I I heard, I know, the population has been decimated. Well, so, plus yeah. they've got this disease that makes them infertile. Really? Koalas could be... Oh, cause that, that could lead to extinction, right? Yeah. I mean, that's... But I, that's anecdotal. I've got to yeah. be a little bit careful. It could, uh-huh. it, it, but it really could. Yeah, wow. Not good. Yeah, if there's no more Not habitat. Good. And um, yeah, a big habitat was in Kangaroo Island, of which yeah. koalas weren't in... They were taken there. Right. Oh, they were, they were native to the island. Yeah, yeah, I see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's true, everything. Mm-hmm.